0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Poem Up podcast. It's great to be with you. Uh, I'm your host James Prescott um, and today I've got a very special guest with me, uh, somebody I've wanted to interview for quite a long time uh, Brian McLaren. Uh, Brian McLaren is a, um, a theologian, a, an author and a speaker and he's written a whole load of books um, A New Kind of Christian, um, Generous Orthodoxy um, and a whole load of other books and they're all fantastic um, doing some amazing work, um, and his um, new book, his most recent book, is called *The Great Spiritual Migration*: How the world's largest religion is seeking a better way to be Christian. Um, and we're going to talk about, a bit about that today, and about a whole lot of things. So, welcome, Brian. It's great to have you. Uh, great to have you here.
1: Happy to be with you.
0: Um, yeah. So, tell us a bit about. Well, tell us about first about just generally what the work you do. Um,
1: sure. Well, a quick uh, history for me, uh, James. I I started uh, uh, my career as a college English teacher. I was a literature guy. Um, And while I was doing that, my wife and I and another couple started a little congregation um, in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, So I became a pastor eventually uh, with that group, and I, I served there for 24 years um, during that time, I started uh, writing some books and then getting invited to do uh, a lot of speaking, mostly for clergy um, and some and other groups, uh, religious groups. And um, so, 11 years ago, I left the pastorate, and I've been speaking and writing. And then I have a lot of kind of, I guess you'd call them activist uh, commitments that I'm interested in that I I also engage in.
0: Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, yeah and I've been re- I've read a lot of your books and uh, they've been really um, life-changing for me in terms of my faith and really moved me on and made me think about things and I think they've done that for a lot of people as well um,
1: well that's that's encouraging to hear yeah yeah um,
0: and yeah I, I just wanted to talk about um, the new book um, because it's, um, well, it's, it's, it's it's a fascinating subject especially at the moment with what's going on in the world so um, just tell us a bit about your most recent book on what that's about sure. and the ideas that it's exploring?
1: Sure. Well, the, the title, uh, The Great Spiritual Migration, is suggesting that uh, I think th- that um, there are signs in in the Christian community and most of its sectors uh, of a kind of uh, discontent with the way things are and the way things are going and a desire to change direction. And and to start moving in a uh, what many of us feel is a better uh, and more Christian direction. Um, yeah. And so I, I structured the book around uh, three specific migrations that, you know, I, 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 this, this is not a prediction. This isn't journalism saying this is happening. This is more, these are signs that I see and... These are, and, and I'm advocating for people to get behind these uh, these three migrations. Um, and, and, and just briefly, the first one is, uh, I call it a spiritual migration. It has to do with how we define our faith. Uh, what does it mean to be Christian? Is that primarily adhering to a system of belief, or is it uh, uh, signing on for a way of life? So that's mm-hmm. the first. The second is a theological migration, and, and that's about... Uh, really uh, our deepest understanding of God and whether we believe that God is violent. Um, and it seems to me with what's going on in the world, uh, this is a life and death uh, matter. Mm-hmm. Um, then the third uh, is what I call a missional migration and this is um, whether we, uh, it's a move for, uh, away from organized religion to toward organizing religion. In know. In other words mm-hmm. um the the problem with religion isn't that it, it's organized it's what it's organized to achieve and and my belief is we have to get it really well organized for better purposes so uh, that that's the, the those are the three uh components of that migration
0: yeah it's, it's really fascinating because i've been i've been noticing this myself recently in my own kind of journey um because it's been these old binaries of um you know, either you're a conservative or you're a, a kind of a liberal, progressive kind of in your theology, right? Um, yeah. And I think I've, what I've noticed is we're kind of moving beyond those, and we have to move beyond those, kind of to a, yeah. kind, of, yeah. a kind of a kind of a kind of a I don't know what to really to call it, a third way, or a, the kind of a, a more transcendent spirituality, if that if that makes a lot of sense.
1: I, I hope so I hope that's uh, what's happening And of course meanwhile we've got this resurgence uh, here on my side of the pond we've got a certainly very virulent form of it um, and I'm sure you have your f- forms of it in the UK and there are other forms of it in Europe and, and even in places like Africa and Latin America but it's it's what I call white Christian nationalism and and uh, I think this this desire to uh, revert to a kind of white, Christian nationalism, I think, is one of the most dangerous things in the world, and uh, I—it's one of the reasons I feel so much urgency about the message of this book because I—I'm I'm advocating uh, a different path than uh, this white Christian nationalism.
0: Yeah, well, just unpack for us in a, lot, in a bit more detail of what that what that path looks like. What it might be what it might look like in kind of practical, practical, in a yeah. practical kind of outworking.
1: Well, maybe a good a good place to start would be in the second of those three migrations. In the middle of the book, I talk about uh, this uh, where we got uh, where we got our our proclivity to violence. When I say we, I mean the Christian religion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so many Christians don't know our history. It's it's like we've been part of a, a massive cover up, or we have a family secret. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it. Uh, uh, and so what I try to do in the middle of the book is I tell, I begin by telling the story of Pope Nicholas V um, back in the 1400s and uh, how he issued something that is now called the Doctrine of Discovery that was basically uh, the opposite of a great commission. It was a horrible commission. He told the kings of Europe, the, the Christian kings of Europe under his influence, to go into all the world and not make disciples but make slaves. Um, to steal the lands and appropriate the resources of all the um, pagan nations, is is what he called them, who are enemies of Christ. So this unleashed the conquistadors and and, um, five centuries of carnage in the name of Christ and in the name of Christianity and and in the name of the church. And, of course, the Catholic version of it uh, was predominant at first, but then the Protestant... Uh, The Protestant sector of Christianity just continued the same uh, process of discovery, uh, enslavement, uh, plundering, and and empire, really. And um, and what I think a kid who's born—you know, I was born in 1956. I don't know what year you were born, but, uh, you know, you get born into a Christian family, and you have no idea— that there's this legacy of mm. violence and exploitation that's part of the, the faith. A whole lot of people have no idea about this. And that's why I think um, we need uh, uh, to make a decisive turn away from it. Meanwhile, uh, what I'm calling white Christian nationalism is a kind of resurgence of this idea that uh, that Christians have special privileges, that Christians uh, are... Uh, are sent into the world for, to to fight uh, in a kind of clash of civilizations warfare uh, narrative and and it, it wouldn't surprise me that that people might do this in the name of capitalism or in the name of you know in the name of some political ideology mm. it's it's really shocking to me that then people try to use Jesus and. The, the teachings of Jesus in, 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 that, uh, in that way does, does that make sense, does that help? yeah
0: absolutely makes a lot of sense yeah, um, yeah and we see it even now you know I mean um, yeah I mean the, you know, obviously you can't get away from what happened in November um, and people who support the new American administration a lot of them seem to be Christians and actually genuinely believe that this is a this is the work of God you know, um, yeah, you
1: know I, the word I use for our election uh, back in November is apocalyptic. And what I mean by that, the word apocalypse means unveiling. And and what that election did is it unveiled, it, it tore the covers off something ugly that's been part of the American psyche from the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, African-American folks saw this underside. Uh, Native Americans saw it. Other minorities saw it. Um, but now it, it's it's out and exposed for all to see. So the top, the most supportive group of Donald Trump are white evangelical Christians mm. um, uh, and, and white Catholics are really uh, supportive of Trump as well. Uh, a significant percentage. So um, uh, and, and what this represents is uh, this resurgence of nationalism and. Uh, it's not make the world great. It's not make the lives of the poor better. It's not, as Pope Francis said, hear the cries of the earth and the cries of the poor and respond to them in a responsible way. It's just a resurgence of nationalism. And uh, and then these uh, we've got a whole raft of religious leaders who are vocally enthusiastic. In fact, they're giddy in their support of Donald Trump. And it's just so bizarre. Here's a guy who... You know, if you wrote a job description to be the opposite of the Beatitudes, uh, (laughs) he's at. But here they are, so thrilled and supportive of him.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating because, um, and but it's actually this that's kind of the election, the election of, of Donald Trump, which kind of got me, which actually shifted me a little bit because I, to start with, I was kind of like on the very kind of. I didn't realise this at the time. I was on this very binary kind of, um, you know, liberal, progressive kind of um, perspective. That's what, you know, kind of like against anyone who supported Trump, you know. Um, yeah. And it actually took a really good friend to point out to me that actually what we need to do is listen and to mm-hmm. hear other people's stories and to dialogue with them and to love our enemies. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to be better than just following the same old tactics you know
1: that's that's so true it's it's exactly right and and this calls for something that i think is very doable it's within our capacity with god's help no no doubt about it but it's not obvious and that is to be firmly uh in opposition to this resurgence of anti-semitism this resurgence of islamophobia this um, this resurgence of uh, a kind of militaristic nationalism—to uh, to be absolutely opposed to it, without ever being hateful to the people who support it—you mm-hmm. know, a whole lot of people uh, here in the states—they, they, that's not even what they're thinking of. You know, when they support Trump, um, they're, they're thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I have a good friend, for example, who said to me, he thinks Trump he said he doesn't know if he's a buffoon or a crook he said but he voted for him anyway because he felt we needed to bring the system down well i think that's a very short-sighted statement but it wasn't like he loved trump it was like he he wanted to stir things up and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes but uh, mm. but i think but the great opportunity for christians of conscience at a time like this is to say okay we um, we can't sit back and think, oh, everything's moving in the right direction. We have to say we've got work to do. You know, we, we have to speak up and we have to invite people into a better way of life. I mean, this is stuff that is uh, right at the heart of what it means to be a Christian anyway. So, uh, so in that sense, it's a wake-up call for, for all of us.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's exactly what, what I heard um, Rob Bell talk about on his podcast when he was talking about this, is that, when he, is that this has woken a lot of people up. This is stuff yeah. we probably should have been aware of anyway, and stuff we should have been doing anyway, and now we're just aware of it, and now we're just doing what we should have been doing all along, in a sense.
1: You know, you know, it's it's interesting. This idea of being uh, uh, awakened, uh, you know, w- waking us up and disturbing us. Um, uh, uh, this is one of the positive things you know there's a whole lot of negative things, and I don't want to minimize them i i I you know this to me is a, a a we're we're in very very dangerous territory. this to me is the most dangerous situation we've been in uh, maybe certainly since the the height of the cold war um but uh, I think about a friend of mine who's African-American. Uh, so She's black and she's Buddhist. There aren't that many black Buddhists, but she is. Uh, and uh, I was reading an interview uh, that she did, and she said, uh, somebody said to her, for you as an African-American, you devoted your life to anti-racism work you must be so discouraged. Do you see any signs of encouragement in this? And she said, the greatest sign of encouragement for me <laughs> is how many of my white friends are freaked out. <laughs> and and what she meant by that is that the disturbance in white people about what's going on in many, many white people is a sign. Oh, we're starting to get it. We're starting to realize that we can't just look out for what's good for one race, right? We got to look out for the common good. And, and so, um, so we've got opportunities, you know, here at, to wake up and and uh, uh, and clarify what we're about, and and uh, as I talk about in this book, to to get organized uh, for for the right reasons.
0: So, what do you think is going to be? This is all going to mean for the Christian church in terms of how it organizes itself in in community, you know, um, and yeah. how it moves forward. Because the people obviously are leaving the church. Um, yeah. And, and my suspicion
1: is um, this, this resurgence of white Christian na- nationalism will drive more and more young people away from the church, and it might bring some pretty nasty people in. In other words, there might be people who start going to church because this fusion of nationalism and religion is something they want to sign into. I know something like this happened in Denmark after they had that controversy with the cartoons some years ago, the guy who made the cartoon of Muhammad, and then there was a lot of um, backlash in the Muslim world against that. Well, uh, uh, a Danish minister told me that for a period of time, at any rate, they had all these people showing up, but showing up for the wrong reason. They wanted to come back to church to fight the Muslims, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I I just think, you know, we should expect that. But I... I think we have an opportunity here, and there's no shortcut, but but we have an opportunity to say what really is our message? What really was Jesus about? What can the Christian faith be as we move forward? If one form of the Christian faith is losing its moral authority by selling out to this white Christian nationalism, white Christian nationalism, and this militarism, and this Islamophobia, and so on. If one sector of the Christian faith is doing that, in my my opinion, is is committing a kind of spiritual suicide, um, well, then the rest of us have to say, we have to go back to the very basics, get clear on what we believe Jesus is about, get clear on what we believe the church is supposed to be. And then I think there's going to be a massive realignment. Um, And what I mean by that is, I think... um, there's going to be a realignment across denominations. Let me say it this way. Uh, mm. uh, let me let me use the word progressive just to, uh, as a very broad term, meaning someone who wants to move forward into a better way of being Christian instead of backward into this old doctrine of discovery, nationalism kind of thing. Um, a progressive Catholic and a progressive evangelical and a progressive Anglican have more in common with each other mm. than than they have with people in their own tradition who are in this sort of constricting regressive mode, and so there's that kind of alignment that has to happen. But if I can mention one other, mm-hmm. I think I, I think pastors. I, I was a pastor for 24 years, so I, you know, that's my world. Um, I think pastors are going to have to say every single Sunday now. We have got to get everything aligned with our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of why we're here. We can't afford to have a single song or prayer or sermon that isn't aligned with our sense of mission. I hate to say it, but for an awful lot of us, all we're trying to do is make people happy so they keep coming back next week. (laughs) And, And what we've got to realize is, no, there's a lot at stake here we we have to we have to help people be formed with a love for the planet we have to help people be formed with a love for the poor we have to help people be formed with a love for peace and peace with people of other nations and religions and so on because what this you know in my country this current administration but with this global resurgence of this nationalistic and authoritarianism is doing is it's plundering the planet, It's throwing out concern for the environment. It's mm. throwing the poor under the bus. Um, it, it's just getting rid of uh, it, it's just cutting the restraints for the rich to get richer and richer and richer. and it won't do anything of substance for the poor. And it, it's stirring up animosity rather than peace. So we this I, I just think we have such a great opportunity, but you know what? One of our problems is going to be um, with this, James, is that uh, yeah. we got a whole lot of happy clappy songs, right? But we don't have very many songs that help us care about the planet, or songs that help us care about the poor, or songs mm. that help us become instruments of peace.
0: Yeah. And
1: and so we need songs and prayers and sermons and everything to align.
0: Yeah, because we don't want we don't want. Like worship can sometimes be escapism, can't it? It's just like, you know, almost like going to a rock concert when you kind of just kind of get lost in the whole atmosphere and the, the kind of the music and everything like that, and you kind of get detached from everything that's around you. And yeah. when you know, some a lot of worship songs can be like that. Um, you know, and church services can be like that, where it's kind of you and you're here and the world out there, and the world is evil and God's here, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously not. That's not healthy. It's not even accurate, you know, because. You know, God is, God is everywhere we look for Him. You know,
1: you know it's, so, it's so interesting in the uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. So often, praise of God is praising the God who set the people free from Egypt. So here it is. It's that's a political act: setting prisoners, setting captives, setting slaves free. Mm. You're praising God because God is the God of liberation, and what's to me sad in a way is that all we've done is we've reduced god to being the god who forgives me of my personal sins but not the god who is committed to 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 this earth and committed to helping humanity become what god intends us to be you know mm-hmm. um, and so you know i'm all for joy i'm all for, i love worship but as you say well here's the way i'd say it To think that we had all of these years in my country of worship, and then the same people who are praising God every Sunday are supporting Trump. It just says to me something's a little wrong here, you know. The the same people who are supposedly worshiping Jesus— are shutting their doors to refugees and, and, and doing the opposite of what Jesus taught, you know. Uh, oh, my goodness, it, the irony of it, it just tells me that, again, it's an unveiling. It's showing us, oh, you know, we, we don't have it together nearly as well as we thought we did.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I always, well, having been kind of been through kind of spiritual direction and, and therapy and things, I, I found that when when things start to get uncovered, when the truth starts to get uncovered, that's when it starts to be confronted, you know.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: It's the beginning what's of a the, kind of healing, you know, transformation.
1: What's yeah. the old saying? The truth will make you free, but first it will make you mad.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and, and there's some discomfort and you know difficulty in in the process of liberation. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I, one of the things that I've been saying a lot to people recently is that we need to hold our beliefs with open hands so yes. you know because because even the most kind of liberal theological position can if you hold on to it tightly then in 10 or 20 30 years whatever it will become conservative you know and you'll still be yeah. where you are yeah. and you'll sound just like the people you're criticizing now you know like you said before you know people people who hold their beliefs tightly have got more in common with each other even if they disagree even if they're from different traditions you know
1: yes and, and what people um, uh, and, and James, as you know, that's exactly what I'm trying to grapple with in the first third of this new book, uh, mm. uh, what I'm calling the spiritual migration. But um, but I, I think when some people hear you say that, they'll think, oh no, you know, you're just becoming liberal and wishy washy, and you know. Mm. But it, it's but this is where the really important thing is. It's it's not that we're saying, oh yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe. We're saying, look, uh, our beliefs are interesting and they're important, but there's something more important. And that's our commitment to actually following Jesus, to live as Jesus lived, a life of love. And you think of all the energy and books and radio shows and all the rest, on trying to get everybody to get exactly the right beliefs. You think if we took, you know, Twenty five percent of that energy and invested it in saying, how can we become more loving people? How can we help Christians build bridges of love and respect with Muslims? Because right now, the two biggest religions in the world are our intention. And if we if we don't have people who are being peacemakers, it's going to be bad. What's the old the old Buddha saying? When two elephants fight in the forest, everybody gets trampled. And, and and so we've got a we you know we've got some great opportunities right now um to call Christians not to less commitment but to a better commitment instead of commitment to having the perfect belief systems uh, commitment to a deep passion to follow Christ and learn a life of love
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's interesting I mean here obviously in the UK the culture is a bit Different because we don't have the church isn't i mean the church I go to I go to a vineyard church and it's not you know it's not there's not there's no it's not tied to politics Christianity yes. isn't tied to politics in the same way as it is in America you know yeah. I mean, like a, a a guy who wants to get elected over here doesn't have to talk about abortion at all you know yeah for example yeah. it's not even an issue you know nobody right. ever talks about it nobody ever asked questions about it it's just you know, um and that's just one issue you know yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting to see just how much politics is tied in with religion in in the states. You know. Um, yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, and, and this is part of our peculiar dysfunction right now. I mean, our our nation is sick. We're 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 not well, and mm-hmm. we have to get we have to get better. You know, we we our soul is is not healthy as a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but. Um, uh, but to me the the challenge it's not that we want to to not be involved in politics. we want to be involved in politics in a healthy and right way mm. and uh, and and that raises the question: what are the issues that really matter most and 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 what are the issues that matter most to God? What are the issues that should matter most to us and 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 then how do we be involved constructively addressing those issues and uh, boy there's so much that can be done there you know and, and so many churches are doing exactly those kinds of things I think about churches that are are leading the way and in, uh, in, uh, reaching out to refugees I, I think about churches that are uh, leading the way and building relationships with the mosque down the street or the synagogue around the corner or the sick Dwara down the street you know and they're saying as Christians we have to be peacemakers let's Let's be hospitable. Hospitality is one of the most important Christian values. Let's go out and live that. And, and, uh, and boy, whenever churches do that, uh, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, how do you think, as we move forward, that we avoid falling into the same trap in terms of holding on to those beliefs tightly? Because it's really easy to get sucked into um, holding world beliefs tightly in, in the, into the whole binary that my my theological interpretation is right, that one's wrong and so like, you know and I'm all liberal and progressive so come with me and we're not going to listen to anything else and then suddenly yeah. the, theology or spirituality kind of evolves and then it moves forward and then those people are kind of stuck so how do we how do we avoid that or avoid yeah. getting sucked into that ourselves?
1: Now, well, you know um you you mentioned spiritual direction before and and when people go and enter into spiritual direction very often they they're introduced to the the contemplative tradition in christian faith and one of the things that the contemplative tradition has tried to do is they've tried to help people see well i think a lot of it is all wrapped up in that phrase in philippians 2 uh, about having the mind of Christ. Uh, and one of the things about Jesus, Jesus was passionate, Jesus was committed, Jesus was strong, but Jesus was not a fundamentalist. Mm. And and what is it that marks graduating from the fundamentalist mind? Whether Because as you're saying, you can be a liberal fundamentalist, you can be a conservative fundamentalist. And it seems to me, uh, my, my friend Richard Rohr talks about this very powerfully, mm. that there, there's a kind of transition we go through from a dualist mind to a non-dual mind mm. or a post-dual mind, mm. where we learn to see there's us and them, but there's a bigger us that holds us than them. You know, we learn to not always sl- slide into that. Uh, black and white, us and them, in or out, dualism. We And we we learn to still, well, sure, there are those tensions, but we learn to see larger holes that encompass them. And that, to me, is one of the things that I think uh, is, it, once you see it, you realize it's all through the scriptures. Once you see it, you realize it's at the core of Jesus. You see it's at the core of Paul. Um, mm. uh, but, uh, and I think we have to help Christians Understand that this isn't what you think; it's how you think. It's not what you believe; it's how you believe. Yeah. And when you when you speak of holding your beliefs lightly, it's it's your way. I think um, uh, James is saying there's a way that we hold our beliefs that we've got to mature in.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, um, the metaphor about hands about holding our beliefs tightly—something I heard from from Peter Rollins—and um, he talked about it and um it kind of just that metaphor just really really um rang true for me and you know and i saw how i've been guilty of it as well you know um and it's really difficult to not to not get sucked into that because you kind of because we're human we kind of want some kind of certainty we want to hold on to something you know yes. we want security you know we want and so it's kind of it's almost natural to fall into that trap and yes um uh, what, I've, what I've kind of learned is that actually you can get to a place where you can kind of rest in a certain way of seeing things, a rest in a way of believing things, and maybe you stay in that place for a while, but you keep your hands open, ready. If Yes. So if God wants to take you further into the next kind of step of spiritual consciousness, then then you're ready, you know. And,
1: and you know, this to me is one of the the uh, the things that I think... Almost everybody acknowledges, but we have to. I don't know, it takes practice to actually be, to live the way you just said, and to say we're never done, we're never finished. You know, part of it is because in our churches, we often create this idea of here are the people who really have it together. And you need to get on the inner circle with those of us who really have it together. And there's all of this social shame, whether, you know, it could be about any number of things. But this inner circle has it together. Oh, I just want to be in. That is so deadly because then you become proud that you're in. And and this idea that there's a humility In fact, I bet that could be another synonym for when you're saying hold your beliefs lightly. It means hold your beliefs with humility. Um, Mm -hmm. Know your limitations. Know that there's a whole lot you don't know. Um, And, you you know, you can say this is my best understanding right now, and this makes a whole lot of sense to me right now. But I know I'll continue learning, growing, changing, and I want to be humble enough to accept an even better idea when it comes along.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, how I mean, how are you kind of practicing this in your own kind of journey? You know, and what I mean, like in terms of community and living it out. You know, what is it looking like for you?
1: Well, uh, first of all, it, if we want to speak of this kind of well, it's, it's what I'm calling the way of life, which is the way of love. If we want to speak of this non-dual, non-discriminatory love, if mm. I could just do a little tangent for a minute. You know, sure. when you look mm. in the Gospels and Jesus says, God lets the rain and sun fall on the good and the evil. Mm. Um, so so God is non-discriminatory in God's love. God, God loves people not because... They're lovable, but because God is loving. And so it's an expression of who God is, right? So it's this non-discriminatory love. Uh, and uh, one of the things I, I, I'm quite convinced of is that it's very hard to get there unless you're around some other people who can model it for you. And, and so I think one of the things we have to do is look for the models, the people who, try to, who set that example for us. And then we want to become that kind of a model for other people. So ironically, the first thing I'd say is we need to find people who model that force to be our mentors. But then the second thing we have to do is we have to make sure we're around people who we really don't agree with. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we have to ask them questions. And we have to be curious to understand them. And we have to model treating them with, with respect. And, uh, and that, I think, if we live in those two spaces— uh, I think I think will that'll force us to keep moving forward. That'll force us to keep growing because it's not easy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, having people around us who can sharpen us and kind of challenge us and make us think and hold us accountable in a sense, you know. Yeah. Um, that always that always helps. Um, so, what's kind of next for you in terms of the work that you're doing, and you know, if you do a lot of writing and speaking and things. So. Um, what's kind of the next thing that you're working on?
1: Well, I haven't started writing another book yet, so uh, I don't really have anything to report on that. I, I've been pretty uh, energized, and, and I've been spending a lot of time trying to help people respond to uh, the whole Trump phenomenon here. So a, a big part of what I feel I'm trying to do, you might call movement building. I'm trying to help Christians uh uh, who are moving in the same direction to find each other and understand each other and to find ways to collaborate, uh, and uh, I, I suppose I'm trying to, uh, and I'm doing that through my blog and my website and the public speaking I do and my social media work and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's where ha- I've been investing a lot of energy. I'm I'm also a part of this uh, fellowship. It's a multi faith fellowship of uh, I guess you could say it's. It's uh, it's leaders and thinkers and activists from different religious traditions who' were, were, we're trying to find out how we can work together to build a better world. and so uh, that's called the Auburn Senior Fellows program and and that's uh, a, a big part of my life uh, right now as well.
0: That sounds fantastic. I think that sounds like stuff we really need more of, you know, because we need more of that support support for people who are on this journey, and we need, people to be working together, you know, not against each other. Um, And, yeah, we need that collaboration and unity, you know, because there's so much division right now, you know. So, what's your kind of hope? I mean, obviously at the moment it's quite a dark time and there's a lot of difficult stuff going on in the world and, you know, a lot of conflict and a lot of division. But what would be... (coughs) your hope what would what would be something that you would that you would hope could come from even from this you know, because we believe in a god who yeah. can exactly can bring,
1: right exactly right bring life from so a, yeah, so, uh, so yeah. let, let me just uh, give uh, a couple of quick stories if that'd be okay
0: yes yeah, great well, yeah
1: so part of what's happened in the aftermath of our election is we have these as I say white Christian nationalists uh, and and one of their Characteristics is anti-Semitism, uh, and so we've had these hate crimes where people have gone in and desecrated graves of of uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. Just in the last couple of weeks this has happened, um, and uh, interesting, as soon as it happened, a Muslim group, the, the first incident of this I think was in St. Louis, a Muslim group went online and raised like three times the amount of money needed. To repair all those graves, um, and that, so here Muslims rose up to do something to support their Jewish uh, neighbors. Right? Um, uh, it, it just happened again in Philadelphia the other night, and as soon as word got out that it happened, a group of Muslims rushed to the cemetery and they were, re, you know, repairing the the tombstones. So it's just these acts uh, where people are saying. Well, here's the biblical language for it. Where sin abounds, grace will abound all the more. Mm Or Paul said it in Romans Romans 13, uh, Romans 12, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. And so what I see happening where I have a lot of hope is something bad happens, and then a group of people stand up and say, well, we see it differently, and we're going to act differently. So, you know, we have our Jerry Falwells and... Uh, and uh, Franklin Graham's. And then we have our Shane Claiborne's and our, uh, you know, Doug Pagets, and our Amy Butler's and our Alexia Salvatierrez In other words, we have a group of people who I think set a really bad example and then another group of people just stand up and say, that's not the only way to do this. And so that to me is a great thing. It really, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a great moment and a great opportunity. I'll give you one other um, yeah. A quick example before, uh, before we uh, wrap this up. Um, uh, you know, one of the tragic things about um, what's going on in my country is here we're at this point of emergency with climate change. I don't know if you just heard, but hmm. um, uh, I mean, this really affects the UK. Um, you know, the temperatures in the North Atlantic uh, are changing much more quickly than we thought. And the great fear is that the Gulf Stream, which creates a, a um, which moderates the climate of Europe, could be interrupted, and mm. uh, I, you know this is happening way fast. People thought this might take a couple hundred years, and, it, and now we're worried it might happen in a few decades, and uh, uh, so we're in this terrible situation with our climate. And now we have a government that doesn't even believe in climate change. You know what? I think they do. I just think they love money more than anything else. Yeah, that's and they're, yeah. they're puppets on the string of the oil companies and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, we're in this moment of great difficulty. But here's the thing churches could organize as never before to get solar panels on the roofs of the church buildings. And then, to get people to get solar panels on their homes. And churches could organize this, right? We, we could actually take the failure of the government to do what they ought to be doing and need to do to say, well, we're just going to accelerate what we're going to be able to do as faith mm-hmm. communities and, and, uh, and as individuals. So th- that's the kind of thing that, I, that brings me hope. Um, it's when people say, I'm not just going to sit back and complain. You know, I, It's when they say... I'm not going to be overcome with evil, I'm going to overcome evil with good.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's so, so inspiring, yeah. Um, and like, and you know, like, like we said, you know, um, if we, as Christians we don't believe that you know death is the end and that you know, Friday is the end of everything, you know, that that's violence right. wins or fear wins. That, that we believe ultimately that there's resurrection and that there's new life and new hope and that nothing, the darkness doesn't actually win in the end. You
1: know. Exactly right. Exactly right. And if I could just be very, you know, practical, I'm thinking about the the listeners of your podcast. You know, there are simple things like one of the things we know is going on in the world is rising tensions between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Right. Mm. Well, look, every single one of us. Uh, if if you know, I wonder how many uh, of us have ever invited a Muslim over for dinner, mm. uh, a Muslim friend. I wonder how many of us have ever. Uh, you know, set up a a party and made sure that we invited Jews and Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists. And, and we as Christians said, we're going to have a party for all of our friends of all these different faiths because we believe that peacemakers are blessed and if we build loving relationships, you know, that's
0: something all of us could do. It's, it's, it's something
1: mm. all of us could do. And uh, uh, that to me would be a very, very exciting thing.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been so great talking to you. You've Learned so much. Um, been yeah, really encouraging.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad you're doing. You know, another sign of hope is all the folks like you who are doing these podcasts and saying, uh, you know what, we're not going to wait for radio stations or television programs or whatever else to do the th- say the things that need to be talked about. We're just going to do it. So yeah, you're you're an example of that right there.
0: Thank you, Brian. That's great. Um, Yeah, so thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Take care, and we will talk soon.